special moment from pulpit form. Uh, the last time I preached, I believe, was two or three months ago, and uh, that was that was filled with specialness. And this evening has even topped that because of the significance of what my father just shared, or Pastor Steve. <laughs> so this, just call me. Dad. Yeah, yeah. What Daddy just said, right? Uh, <laughs> it carries great value, great significance. And uh, my heart is filled with joy this evening for this privilege to open up the Word of God and to see the saints blessed. So I just want to thank you in, in advance for the ways you've always received from me. You know, even when I was out of town, as you know, and I came back, and you, you always received from me. And that's important as well for a preacher. Uh, so I'm looking forward to tonight. And uh, I think, by God's grace, you should all be blessed by the word that he has for you. So let's open up the Bibles together. And if you want a title for this sermon, it's <laughs> always good to have a title. The title of this sermon is called Faith, Hope and Love. The Big Picture. The Big Picture. And that phrase there, that title there that the Lord gave me, just struck a chord in my heart that reverberated, if you will, for weeks on end. And when God's doing that, He's really telling you, and He's really telling me, this needs to be voiced. This needs to be said. And at this pivotal moment, but yet progressive moment in the life of ICI Fellowship, I believe that is indeed what the Lord has for us this evening. So let's open up in the word of prayer and ask the Lord to be with us as we go into the Scriptures. So dear Father, we thank you so much for this wonderful opportunity we have to be a candlestick, Lord, before Christ. That we are true, Lord, a truly, Lord, a church that flame has not gone out. And Father, we pray that you would add fun to flame tonight. Yes. That you would make us shine brighter, burn stronger, Lord. And that you would give us a passion, a greater, deeper passion, Lord, for the things of Christ. But Father, we pray that the foundations, Lord, will be solid. That the foundations for this next stage of this church life will be solid, Lord, in Christ. So may the supernatural Christ of the Bible speak tonight. That we implore you, Lord, and we beseech you, Lord, and we beg even, Lord, for the supernatural Christ of Scripture to be with us this evening. Pour out your blessings by the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, the big picture. Faith, hope, and love. And you know, there's many people today who have all types of ideas of what the big picture should be about. You know, even uh, the movies adopt this phrase. You know, you go into the big picture, you go into the big movie, the blockbuster. And we spend how much a ticket these days? $10 plus, add the popcorn, yeah. you know. And it soon accumulates, but we say, yeah, I'm going to see the big picture. And there's others who get a bit more sophisticated than that, right? And they venture into territories of study. And they look at things that are beyond finding out at times. When we consider the cosmos and how large and how vast the cosmos is, it's breathtaking. It takes our very breath away. And uh, I think it was Angel was mentioning the other day that he loves to study those things. And when you look through a telescope, all the... All the stars, all the handiwork of God is seen. Oh, in a clear night, 
in South Florida. Didn't get this much in England, but on a clear night in South Florida, you can see those things. And you can even identify planets and stars. People say, well, that's the big picture. In fact, I've even had uh, some good atheist friends. You know, I've had conversations, dialogue with atheist friends. And they say, Jonathan, this, this talk about a God appearing in Palestine or in the Middle East in a burning bush, when you've got the great cosmos, what is that in comparison to the great cosmos? And they kind of see only that as the big picture. Not seeing the biblical picture. Because in the biblical picture, the fact that God would speak and reveal his truth to sinners such as us is far greater than anything we could ever explore on a telescope. Even if it's billion light years away. Not one of those stars, my friends, not one of those wonderful galaxies can speak. They are mute. They are deaf. They do not speak. They have nothing to say to us. In fact, when you look at the scriptures, the Bible says that the stars are for the times and the seasons on earth. So it's just the wallpaper, folks. It's just the backdrop. It's nice to have good wallpaper. I don't know if you've ever seen gaudy wallpaper. <laughs> you know, it's, you know it's, it's, it happens, right? <laughs> but it's simply that. It's just the backdrop. But what God is interested in is what's taking place on earth. And when God created man, where did he place him? He placed him on earth, in the Garden of Eden. So people talk about, oh, this is the big picture. Other people say, well, the big picture is not so much the telescope, it's the microscope. You know, if we look at the atom, and we look at how all things are joined together, and how microorganisms work, it's fascinating, isn't it? And it should take our breath away when we consider those things. And as Christians, we should pursue studies in those areas because it speaks of God. But that's not the big picture. It looks like the big picture. Wow! Or another example, if we were to plunge the depths of the ocean. In fact, I saw something on Yahoo. You know, everything on Yahoo is true, right? <laughs> I saw something on Yahoo the other day, and it was talking about... Uh, creatures they're now finding for the first time. Oh, you caught that as well. Yeah, it was fascinating, wasn't it? And all those wonderful life forms that we're just now discovering because we have this advance in technology whereby we can send cameras down where we can't send people down. And it's fascinating to see that. And people say, that's the big picture. But my friends, it's fascinating and it brings glory to God. But it's not the big picture. And then we get some people who are actually more sanctified in their thinking. And they even accept biblical revelation or some religious claim. And they say the big picture is creation. Creation is the big picture. Now we're getting interested. I mean, it's one thing, one thing to study facets of God's creation. But it's another to consider creation itself. The fact that God spoke and the world came into being. We cannot even spend eternity, you know, plunging the depths of that power that he has within himself to create a world out of nothing. Big picture. And we're getting closer to the big picture. But I would submit to you, my friends, that even that, as glorious as it is, 
Creation you know, X nearly always the Latin first. I always try to get some Latin in just to impress you. <laughs> Even that, <laughs> oh, my heart stopped this. Even that is not the big picture. And we should be thankful that God created us. Have you ever thought that before? Have you ever just thank God, regardless of redemption, that He created you? And he didn't create you as a toad, you know, or fly, or piglet, even if they're cute, you know, and they have nice cartoons of them, right? I'm thinking of the cartoons, not the actual. You know, and we could consider all those things. But we are the crown of God's creation. We are made in the image of God. So not only do we have God created for his own glory and his own pleasure, but we also have God creating man his own image. He didn't have to do that for you. In fact, I was talking to a friend not so long ago, actually at a salon of all places, but uh, I was talking to this friend of mine and uh, I said, you know, if Christ came back in 1980, and some of you were around back then, right? <laughs> if Christ came back in 1980, I wouldn't even be alive, I wouldn't even exist, you know? I would just be this amorphous blob of nothingness, <laughs> you know? Hard to imagine, right? Very hard to imagine. But I thought if he came back, as early as then, then I don't even exist. I don't even have time to worry about different theological debates and views and whatnot. But he created us in his image. In fact, the Bible says that one day we will judge angels, that we will even be exalted above the angelic host. Now we're getting closer to the, to the big picture, but it's not quite there yet. Because we can cons consider the celestial host as they are confirmed in ethical righteousness, enthroned with Christ over creation, and as they worship, you know, through that adulation. We see that in Isaiah 6 when he has that revelation of the thrice holy God and the seraphim surround that throne. What a wonderful privilege. But those angels, as you know, never experienced redemption. Not one of them ever had the blood of Christ applied to them. And some angels had a far worse fate. They thought the worship of God was a bit of a bad idea. Waste of their time. And they led a rebellion in heaven through Lucifer. And they fell. And the Bible says that one day, according to 1 Corinthians 6.3, that we were even judge angels as the glorified children of God. Now we're not there yet. Okay, so don't get any ideas. But one day, we will be glorified with Christ. And this is wonderful truth. This is the big this is getting closer to the big picture. That when we consider redemption and what Christ has done for us as sinners, beyond creation, beyond the first creation, we are now in the second creation. We are now new creatures in Christ. And we see the power of God, don't we, in our lives. That goes beyond the telescope, the microscope, creation, us made in his image. The fact that he's had mercy on us and he's conforming us to the image of Christ is enough to praise him for all of eternity. Mm -hmm. But my friends, that is still not the big picture. Or we consider the Great Commission. When Christ there before he ascends gives the disciples the Great Commission. And he says, go ye forth into all the world, discipling the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That, 
that promised then the Great Commission that we are to expect results because of God's grace is breathtaking. And we consider the local church and the wisdom of God in the local church. In fact, the Bible says in Ephesians, I believe in 1 Peter, that the angels were wanting to look into the dispensation of the church age. And the idea of the Greek word, I remember studying the Greek word, has this idea that they're stretching over, that they knew it wasn't their time to see, but they were so curious of this diamond known as the church, that they couldn't help but glance and look in amazement. So when we consider the local church, and just how wonderful it is, it takes your breath away. My friends, as glorious as that is, as glorious as ICI is, right? it is not the big picture. Or we can even consider this, the very word of God. Like I alluded to a few moments ago, when God has spoken. In fact, in Deuteronomy, when it speaks of the prophet who would deliver the word of God, it says, I will put my thoughts into his mind and he will speak my words. Yes. That's direct connectivity. There's no internet problems there. That's direct. And to have the very mind of the Lord when it comes to Revelation. He spoke of Moses in Exodus and Numbers. He said, Moses is not like other men, but he is my friend and I have spoken to him face to face. Now that's an adverbial expression for clarity of speech. Because it's put an antithesis to dreams and visions. And it's wonderful to have dreams and visions, is it not? You, have you ever read Daniel? <laughs> you know? Or Revelation? It's to, enough to make you lose sleep. But, you know, it certainly does stir the Christian heart when we read those. And to see that revelation, it's breathtaking. To have the Word of God. That we are not left in darkness. We are not left to figure it out ourselves. In fact, we couldn't. If God didn't speak, there's no way we could ever come to the wonderful truths of the gospel. That's why in Romans 10, quoting Nahum, it says, Blessed are the feet that bring good news and glad tidings. Speaking there of the missionary and the evangelist. Because without the revelation of Christ, there's enough in creation to condemn a man. All men know God exists. And not just a God, Jehovah. But it's not enough to save a man. Oh woman, it needs the gospel intervention. There needs to be spiritual cardiac arrest on that heart. Where that heart of stone is taken out and a heart of flesh is given in place of it. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. But the gospel, as glorious and as wonderful as it is, <laughs> I'm getting to my focal point, it's not the big picture. Because <laughs> even though the main purpose of the church is... To make sure that a sinner has a right standing with God. That's why justification by faith alone is the article of the standing and fallen church. And even though through that brings glory to God and the worship of God. The gospel is still a means to an end. Even though it is an end in itself. So we don't want to get this self-help thing when we just use the gospel to get what we want. Jesus is a good idol giver. Remember my last sermon. The idols that slay. You want nothing to do with that. But even the gospel, even though it's the power of God unto salvation, it is not the final sentence on the matter. It is not the biggest picture possible. 
So where do we go from there, Jonathan? <laughs> or possibly could it be? Well, it was alluded to in the title, not fully stated. The big picture, according to the scriptures, is faith, hope, and love. That Christ set the example by taking on flesh, by coming a man, and walking in faith, hope, and love. And that's where I want to bring your attention now to the scriptures. And let's look at together some examples of Christ and what he has done and how he has set the supreme, the ultimate example. Let's go to Philippians 2 together. Philippians chapter 2. from verse 5 Philippians chapter 2 in fact as you find in that scripture that this scripture here is apparently one of the earliest hymns of the Christian church it's known as the Carmen Christi and it was sung as early as the first decade of the church and in it we have this rich exhortation to humility but also a rich doctrinal teaching in the deity of Christ so let's read this together read them from verse 5 it says, Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who thought, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of the death of the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above all other names so that the name of Jesus Christ every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What a wonderful text. Now it's a biblical exhortation to Christian humility but in it it's packed with Christian doctrine that Jesus, the eternal Son of God, God the Son Receiving all that worship, all that attention, all that praise from the angelic host. Decided to momentarily dethrone himself by taking on human flesh. Even though he was always God. Some people have used this passage to say that he entered himself of some divine attributes. No, he didn't divest himself of one single divine attribute. But he took upon his divine nature a human nature. Now how that all works... Good luck figuring out. <laughs> we can never fully plunge the depths of what it means to have Christ as both God and man in the one person. But yet he was. It's a paradox. It's not a contradiction, but it's a paradox. And there's a difference between those two words. But here we see how he humbles himself. And he could have said, legitimately so, when I'm God the Son. I have enjoyed eternal fellowship and communion with my Father for all of eternity. In fact, I mean, that often quote this verse because it's such a rich, deep verse. The opening prologue to the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, the Logos. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. That word with, pros, in the Greek means face to face. So it wasn't as if he was just in a committee. With the Father and the Spirit. No, there's one God in substance, but three in persons. But they were in fellowship with one another. 
and that fellowship, that quality of life that the triune God has enjoyed for all of eternity where the Father loves the Son unconditionally, the Son loves the Father, the Spirit proceeds from both the Father and the Son in triune love. We will never, even in our most glorified state, fully experientially have that quality of life. It's for Him alone. Do you realize that tonight, friends? That there are some things that are for God alone. Well, I'm important, aren't I? Don't I get to get some things? Well, you're made in the image of God, so you've done pretty well. You know? But there are some things that are for God alone. And there was Christ, enjoying that fellowship with the Father. But because of our rebellion, because of our human sin, a rescue mission was planned in eternity past to save us. And God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit made covenant together in eternity past. This is sometimes known as the covenant of redemption. Pactum salutis, that's another Latin phrase. <laughs> the covenant of redemption, where they agreed to save a special people through Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, the thing about this covenant, it follows the pattern of a covenant in biblical history. And in biblical history, there was a covenant known as a royal grant. And a royal grant was always uh, reciprocal and mutual. Sorry, not a royal grant, a, a piety covenant. Nobody would have known that, but I'm recording it, and there's people who listen to this. A piety covenant. And they would make a covenant between two equals. So in other words, the covenant could have been refused, or it could have been accepted. It was a free choice on behalf of the Son. You know, so many people today, even in good Christian circles, are so desperate to, to defend the freedom of man. Well, we have free will. We have free will. Yeah, we're just these little gods running around with our own sovereignty. And yes, there is a sense we do have free will. But when I have those discussions with people, the first thing I ask them is the first freedom we want to be interested in is God's freedom, right? You know, well, that's not nice. People get offended. And once I jokingly said, let's start a club called Be Nice to God. You know, people say, like, well, we'll just be nice. Just be nice. Well, how about being nice to God? <laughs> you know, I think he could do with a bit of, you know, a bit of niceness right there. You know? So we have these scriptures that speak of this triumph fellowship, this covenant of redemption, and how it was a, it was a, f a free decision by the Son to take on human flesh. And when he took on human flesh, it wasn't like pantomime. No, in England we have pantomime uh, and theatre. I know you have that here, of course. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, I'm, that, I'm a little bit cultured, right? We have, we have theatre here as well. And in, in those plays, somebody would take on a role, take on a character. And some particular gifted actors, they would do multiple roles in one play. Don't know how they do it, but some can do that. It was as if Jesus was doing that. He wasn't going through a wardrobe change. You know, like, well, let's, let's play this character today. <laughs> or for 30 years max, but then when I ascend to heaven, I will shed myself of that role. I will shed myself of humanity. He didn't do that. Because when he ascended, the Bible says he is now forever the God-man. Mm -hmm. That he is our great high priest. Whoever lives to intercede for us as a man, in Acts 17, when Paul is speaking about the resurrection of the dead, he said he has appointed this man, 
to judge the world in righteousness. In the Gospel of John, it says, The Father has given all judgment to the Son, for He is able to judge the world in righteousness. In other words, He is completely qualified to judge humanity because He took on human flesh. He knows exactly what it's like to be tempted. He knows exactly what it's like to live in this world, fallen. Adam didn't experience that at first, but Christ knows that. He knows it more than all of us, actually. Try not going without food for 40 days, and then Satan appearing to you in the wilderness and tempting you. Yeah, we get tempted from time to time, but I've never had that. You know, I've never had like this apparition of Satan 40 days after fasting. I've never fasted for 40 days. I think my dad has one time. <laughs> Yeah, it was, no, it was a good fast. It was like just bread and water. Right. right. So I'm a long way behind. But, um, <laughs> but imagine being tempted that way. And yet he overcame. And he overcame as a man. So none of us can ever turn around and say, well, you don't know what it's like, God. You don't know what it's like to be human. You don't know what it's like to be in this situation. So for you it's the all-powerful God, but I'm the little creature dude down here, struggling. Jesus knows. In fact, he took the accumulation of all human suffering upon the cross. He knows what it's like to suffer. He knows what it's like to be tempted. So what makes him so wonderful? What sets him apart from the rest of humanity? The fact that he was God? Yes, of course. But also as a man, I want to give credit to Jesus as a man tonight. That throughout his life, he never failed once in thought, word and deed. Not to love God with all his heart, mind, soul and strength. Not once. Never once had a bad attitude. Not once had a rebellious curve to, his, to himself or his ministry. Not once sought his own glory. Not once put himself first, not once, not once, not once, he walked in love. And I shared those scriptures with you last time I preached about how powerful God was. You know, we went to Isaiah chapters 40 to 48 and looked at the attributes of God there. And God, if he wanted to, in eternity past, I mean, he's in control, he is God. He could have come up with a different way of redeeming man, or he could have prevented the fall. He could have, yes, he could have prevented the fall if he wanted to. He's all powerful, he's all sovereign. But God had a better plan. Because even though the fall was a complete act of rebellion against our Creator, now hear me carefully here, because some people get this wrong sometimes, it was a complete act of rebellion. But yet at the same time, paradoxically, God was sovereign over it. Yeah. How that works, I don't know. But we just have to affirm it because the scriptures teach it. Because he had a plan. He had a better plan than a glorified Adam. He had a plan concerning the last Adam, Jesus Christ. That he would walk this filthy sod, so to speak. That he would take on flesh. That he would become a servant. That he would fulfill the law. Motivated by love. Filled with grace. Filled with faith. Filled with hope. So that we enjoy all those benefits as a free gift this evening. Yes. What a great plan. Yeah. I, couldn't have, I wouldn't have thought of that one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if it was just according to my petitions, it would have been a lot different. But that's what God decreed. That's what God authored. 
And in that we have the most wonderful display of Christian charity. Because the Bible says God is love. There's many other things. You don't swap that around. You doesn't become love is God. Okay, so people take it too far. But I'm saying to you tonight, my friends, that God is love. He truly is. And if you doubt that, go to the gospel. Go to the cross. Look at that awesome display of love, that passage in Romans 3. When it talks about, he demonstrated our love to us. And yet when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This wonderful, sacrificial display of agape love. Now if there's no fall, or even if there's another way, do we really get to see the diamond of God's heart and all of its clarity and all of its effulgence, as brilliant as that is? I would say not. I would say not. So this is what the big picture is. The big picture is Jesus Christ of Nazareth from a poor background dying on that horrible tree. That's the big picture. That's why in 1 Corinthians when Apostle Paul is wanting to bring the gospel to the church of Corinth and to the Greeks, it says for them it's foolishness. To the Jews it's a stumbling block. Because they were expecting the Caesar character to come over and overturn Rome and then they'll have their political power again. But the big picture is the middle of Palestine 2,000 years ago this man, Jesus Christ of Nazareth giving up his life for the body. In fact, there's another sermon I believe my father quoted it last week on another scripture. As he's on the cross there he quotes an Aramaic Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when you go to that psalm there, Psalms 22, read it through in your own time if you have the time, devotionally. And there's an interesting verse, I believe it's about verse 6, and it says, I am not a man but a worm. That he, he was so humiliated on that cross that he even described himself prophetically through the psalmist as a worm. And the interesting thing about that Hebrew word, taller, means worm in Hebrew. It's a particular type of worm that would tie itself to a tree. And it would give birth to little baby worms. And in order for those offspring to live, the mother worm would have to give up her life. And they would even eat the mother worm. And so that at the end, when the other worms get to flourish and live, all that would be left upon... The, the, the tree bark was a red stain. And get this, it gets even better. After a few days, it would flake away and turn to white. What does Isaiah say? Come let us come let us reason together that our sins were as once as red as crimson or scarlet. But he has made them as white as snow. Because he became a worm. Because he was humiliated in front of everybody so that we could be reconciled to him. Can you see the big picture, folks? Can you see the importance of this? And that's why Apostle Paul got this revelation. You know, we don't know exactly what Apostle Paul looked like, but he wasn't going to be working in cosmetics anytime soon, all right? Or even if you look at those early reformers, they could never take a good portrait. I know it was back then, but you know. But these men of all, these saints, especially Apostle Paul, 
got it. And I can imagine him. You know, people describe him historically as a small man and not attractive to the eye. He said, but it's all figured out. This is what matters now. Now that Christ has come, I know I'm an apostle, but that doesn't matter. Because in fact, 2 Corinthians, he said, I believe God has set the apostles last. We are the offscore of the earth. That they were at times mocked and beaten and persecuted. He said, all that matters now is a new creature in Christ. Galatians 6. All that matters now, 1 Corinthians 7, 14, is the obeying of the commandments. And then more, more folkly to the presentation tonight, to the sermon tonight, in Galatians 5, it says, all that matters now is faith that works through love. In fact, let's go to that passage right now. I was going to read that passage here. There's a couple of things I want to glean from this. It says from verse 5 of Galatians 5. It says, For through the Spirit, by faith, there we have faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope, there we have hope, of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. It's Apostle Paul. Yeah. I mean, this guy was used in incredible ways. Raising the dead. If we just had one miracle of that proportion, this place would be packed. Yeah. There'd be more than an overflow room mm. to fill. Let's face it, people. This man had a lot to boast of. He said, no, 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 no. That really doesn't matter. What matters now is faith that works by love. And this was a reoccurring message of Paul. After justification by faith alone, this is all he basically had to say. <laughs> you know? It's like the big letter on the eye chart. You don't want to miss it. It's, it's justification by faith alone. And then all that matters now, now that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, is faith that works by love. And why is this? Why are these three virt virtues used at weddings? Why is that scripture in 1 Corinthians 13 so often read publicly? Well, I believe it's because it's uh, the three virtues where everything else pivots. Show what I mean first and foremost in the objective sense. Faith, when we believe in Christ, not faith in faith, or I have faith that I'm going to have what I want, but faith in Christ takes care of the past. My sins are forgiven. And my friends, if you have faith in Jesus Christ tonight, your sins are completely forgiven. I don't care how bad they are, how private they are, they're all forgiven. Because faith in Christ has given us peace with God. It takes care of all the past. And in hope, Romans 5 says, the love of the Holy Ghost has been poured into our hearts and our hope does not disappoint. So the word hope in the Greek is not this idea of I, I hope I win the lottery. You know, this kind of whimsical, kind of, right, curveball, maybe, maybe so. <laughs> I hope I win the lottery. That's not what's going on here. This is a sure hope, and it meant the total expectation of turning good. So hope takes care of the future. That we have an internal inheritance with Christ. That he's going to do it. That's why Paul said in Philippians 1, I am confident that the Lord Jesus Christ will complete what he's begun in began in you to the day of Jesus Christ. He's going to finish the work, folks. He hasn't just saved you and just left you to struggle indefinitely without rest. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians that one day he will bring relief 
to the saints. My friends, relief is coming. In this life and certainly in the life to come. So if you feel exasperated this evening, if you feel downtrodden this evening, I always believe the word of the Lord is relief is coming. Because we serve a fearful high priest and a fearful God. So hope takes care of the future. So if I have my past taken care of, and I have the future taken care of, what's left in the now? Love. Love. I honestly think one of the greatest hindrances to people walking in love is they honestly believe they need to look out for number one. Mm. Well, if you believe, believe the scriptures, it's already taken care of. Mm. Your sins are forgiven, you're going to heaven, you're going to get eternal life. In fact, in, in the Gospel of Mark, it talks about those who have left family and lands and brothers and sisters for the Gospel's sake will receive many fold in this life, but in the life to come, eternal life. So in other words, eternal life is seen as the apex of all living. It's like getting to the North Pole and asking, how further north can you go? Okay? It's a pointless question. So we can't get a higher blessing than eternal life. And yet that's been secured by Christ. So this is wonderful truth. This is a truth, unfortunately, that's often overlooked. And as a consequence, I honestly believe people become impoverished spiritually. Because they don't see these basic fundamental Christian truths. And getting back to the example of Paul, he could have, you know, set up a mega church. Especially in this day and age, because you know we're going to have all these TV cameras. And uh, I heard there was a pastor in Georgia who now is going to have like a hologram appear of him on stage because <laughs> he can't be in two places at once. Yeah, superhuman. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And don't get me wrong, there are times when the Lord gives, you know, I'm getting more to the nitty gritty now in the application, right, you can tell. There are times when God gives providential blessings where you can do certain things with technology, I do a podcast with Brian and all that good stuff. But overall, if it's devoid, if it's empty, faith, hope and love, all I've got is an empty sack. Say, for example, God was to bless ICI beyond all expectation. And I have an expectation. <laughs> but say he was to bless us just so that... I mean, we almost have to tell CNN to go away. Because <laughs> okay? you're not our type of people. <laughs> no, sorry, CNN watchers. Okay? Fox News rocks. Okay, moving on. <laughs> you know? I mean, just imagine if that was the reality. It would be great. But if it didn't have faith, hope and love. And I, that's why I think this moment in the chapter of the life of this fellowship is crucial. Because what we have here, my friends, mm. is faith, hope, and love. And I believe the Lord's going to bless this work. I'm biased, of course, but I believe the Lord's going to truly bless this work. But if we ever forget these foundational Christian principles, what is the point? I might as well close up the Bible, go out and do some constructive Go on the Googles and on the internets. <laughs> Sorry, that was my brain. I might as well just do something like that. And make money. But no. The Bible has called us to a much higher calling than that. He's called us to walk in faith, hope and love. And faith, hope and love, my friends, should be the big picture. And it should be the substance of your life. Now I want to share a secret with you right, right now, okay? Get ready for this. <laughs> My dad's like, what are you want to say? 
<laughs> Everybody, at some point in their life, feels inadequate. Okay? Everybody, at some point in their walk, or maybe you say, I think it characterizes how I feel about myself, Jonathan, feels inadequate, not good enough, etc., etc. And that's partly true because of sin. We're not good enough for, for Christ and his standards, but because of the gospel, we are accepted in his sight. So if you're struggling tonight, if you, if you feel this is not the substance of my life, you need to go back to the gospel. Don't go to the law, okay? Jonathan preached and he told me I need to walk in faith, hope, and love. So I'm just going to have this naturalistic effort. You won't get out that door <laughs> successfully, okay? It just won't happen. But you go to the gospel. Because yes, at the end of the day, we are all inadequate. Yes, at the end of the day, do I love God consistently, 100% all of the time? What do you think the answer is, people? No. I'm a minister of grace. I'm a minister of the new covenant. Not the minister of the old covenant, okay? Thank the Lord. I'm a minister of grace. Because I have received grace. And he's caused me to be faithful. He's caused me to walk in faith, hope, and love. But it's all been done through the power of the gospel. And that's what we should never abandon, never forget, never sideline. It should be the very centerpiece of all that we do in our church life and in our individual lives. And also by way of challenge, if I was to challenge you this evening, if you don't take heed and you abandon this, or you diminish it, because nobody in Christian conscience would immediately go, well, faith open up, who wants that? I don't think anybody in this room would even come close to that. But we can gradually, right? Is it really that important? You know, I really do need to make money. There's so many things I need to take care of in my life. Do you know the responsibilities I have? And this is all legitimate stuff. I'm talking about the mature Christian now, how they may reason. Deceptively, but a reason and a rationale that can leave, uh, or lead to a deprivation of these three qualities. But my friends, if we don't, this is what will happen. Our decisions will have no power, because we'll have no faith. Our view of the future will be bleak, because we have no hope. And our charity will be cheap, because we'll have no Christ in our hearts. Cultivating that love. There's a lot of stake here. And I was thinking, as preparing this sermon, I was meditating on this sermon, that the description in Timothy about men's works are not always clear. Comparing both good works and bad works, but eventually they manifest. And there's certain individuals, according to the testimony of Scripture, in just in general experience, have I have observed, where something happens like 30 years you know, later from an actual event or an actual attitude of the heart. But because that heart didn't yield to the Spirit and didn't allow the Spirit to cultivate the inward life of that person, they lacked in these three virtues. And when times got tough, or when the right circumstances and all the planets lined up, boom, combustion. And so we said, wow, I'm shocked. I can't believe that person's done that. But it was always there. It was dormant, it was latent, right? It was 
it, it, it didn't express itself, it manifest itself. And this is what I'm saying, folks. I know I'm young, and I, I appreciate you every time you receive from me this way. But I would never want anybody, including myself, to have some selfishness in our heart that never really gets challenged, never really gets addressed. Now, this is not to do with me at this point. This is between you and God. But if you know that thing, ask the Lord in. Submit to the Spirit. You might think, oh, it's no big deal. But one day, boom. And I've seen it in the lives of others. And when I see it, I don't say, oh, how could that person do that? What I say to myself, Lord, I pray. And I beg that you would protect me from that by working in my heart for the rest of my life. Yes. Because what is success in the big picture? Yeah. Really at the end of the day. I would like to think that when I'm lying on my deathbed looking back on my life, it's been a demonstration of my fidelity to God's truth proven how much I loved it and him. That to me it's the big picture. That to me is a successful life. So if you want to have your best life now, to quote a misguided preacher, <laughs> if you want to have your best life now, faith, hope and love. And I'm very excited for the next chapter of ICI Fellowship. And uh, the Lord's going to be with us. Uh, but we always want that testimony. We always want anybody who comes through those doors, yeah, the projector didn't work and there was issues over here, but Faith, hope, and love. It was there. Faith, hope, and love. They had it in abundance. So let's pray together as we close. So dear Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you have done a miracle in our hearts. That you brought to us the gospel and the supernatural Christ of scripture through the power of the Spirit, has caused us to love you, yes. to love our neighbour, to walk in faith, to have hope for the future. And Father, I pray that we will never diminish in these things, but we will ever be increasing. Or as First Peter says, we will ever be multiplying in these things. That we will never see them as a light thing, Lord, or as a trivial thing. And Lord, that we will not look with the natural eye as a definition of what is success. But Father, that we would look to Christ and to his example. And how he even became a worm. So that we could have peace with you. So Father, give us the big picture this evening. And Lord, as we come to the table, and I give it back to Pastor Steve. I ask Lord that you would just impress on our hearts. What you're doing in ICI Fellowship. And may we be a people of faith, hope and love. Forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jonathan. Let's come to the table.